Welcome to Terminal Talk. Back to school. Frank, quiet back there. Hey, we thought we'd try something a little bit different on Terminal Talk today. We're going to go back to school and, and do some basic education. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people that listen to the Terminal Talks and they say, yeah, there's I can tell there's some smart information going on there, but like, I don't know the first thing about mainframes. Can you can you help me get started from the ground up? And that's that's really what we wanted to try to do with these episodes, these back to school episodes. And as we're trying to figure out uh, where should we start, uh, Fred reached out to us and and he's like uh, the guru of SE and HMC. So we're better place to start than with with that all important console. So we're going to kick it over to Professor Fred Bader and uh, take it away, teacher. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, I'm not sure that I would consider myself a guru, but um, yeah, this is one of those topics that um, a lot of people, even people who have spent a lot of time uh, working on IBM Z mainframes for a long time, may not really be very familiar with uh, SE and the HMC. I mean... um, it's actually very few people ever see them, um, and only a few people probably are even familiar with the role or have ever touched one before. It's kind of like the sort of secret thing that folks in the inner circle get to uh, get to play with. Hmm. So, um, but they're really important to IBM System Z. So I thought you know that'd be a good place to um, to talk about them. So um, let me start first with the. SE, which is the support element. And just sort of conceptually, what the SE does is <clears throat> nowadays most cars, you know, you see your car sitting out in the parking lot and you say, well, the key's out of it, it's turned off, it's not really doing anything. Um, but in reality, there's really some kind of computer or multiple computers in your car that um, as long as your battery isn't completely dead, are actually powered up and, and doing things, right? I mean, they're monitoring for your fob to see if it's you that wants to unlock the uh, car. Um, it's waiting to see if the key that you put in the ignition has got the right chip in it to make sure that uh, you've passed the security check to make sure that you're allowed to start the car. So it's not just like this dumb thing that's just kind of like sitting out there. And the SE is kind of the same kind of brains for an IBM System Z mainframe. When the machine has power available to it, AC power available to it, somebody's flipped the circuit breaker on, um, the thing that boots up first is the um, SE, the support element. And it actually consists of two x86 servers that are mounted inside the frame of an IBM Z. So unless you have access to your data center and actually can walk over to an IBM Z and open the door on it, you would never see um, that it exists. And to be honest with you, I've looked inside and it's really hard to find because it's like two little one U things sitting up at the top of the uh, one of the uh, frames. So there's a primary and alternate and they um, one of them is the backup for the other and they boot up and then just kind of sit there just like the little computer in your car waiting for some instruction on uh, what to do next. And so it actually is the point of control for an IBM Z system. And we're talking about like just a single system, which some people call um, a Keck 
or a CPC, a Keck referring to, I think, an older term for central electronic complex. <laughs> and uh, I guess nowadays the term is CPC, central processor complex. So um, the SE is basically powered up and is going to act as the orchestrator so that um, when you actually give the instructions that you want to power on your machine to actually begin using it, it is going to turn on internal circuits that allow it to power up the different drawers that have the processor and the memory in it, and then the I.O. drawers that have all the I.O. channels in them. And it's going to make sure that they get the power and they get turned on. It will also monitor things like power. So in case, um, you know, somebody accidentally goes and flips one of the circuit breakers and kills some of the power coming into it, it will uh, alert you as well as um, the uh, IBM support center that something's happened. We've lost some power. We're still running, but you better take a look at it because it's not good to just run on a single source of power. It's always good to have two sources. Um, the other thing that it kind of does, it's also has a hard drive on it. And so it's the repository where all the system microcode lives. So as part of this power on sequence, after it's turned the power on to the drawers and the IO cards, it will load microcode in them to make uh, a particular channel card um, behave like um, a FICON channel that allows uh, disk storage to be attached to it or tape storage, or it allows it to act like a, a OSA, which is an open systems adapter that you're going to plug into a network. And that's what allows um, your machine to communicate with a network. And so it takes care of um, doing all these things, double-checking, make sure they came up okay, that they didn't have a, an error when they were loading. And then it also just maintains the status of um, what state the system is in. I don't know, have you ever talked before about um, how IBM Z, one of the great things about it is that it can um, act as multiple like individual systems. Uh, we call them LPARs, logical partitions. It can be kind of divvied up into... Um, looking like separate little computers. Yeah, we, we've talked about LPAR a little bit, but um, since we're starting from the beginning, uh sounds like you had a pretty good thread to pull on right there. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily going to go into the whole thing about LPARs, but yes, um, one of the things that um, your system does is you can define your IBM Z to have multiple LPARs. And each of those LPARs acts like it's a completely independent IBM Z Um they um, can run their own in individual operating systems in there. Um, they can perform um, other functions such as appliances uh, for some services that are sort of already pre-built that you don't put your own operating system in there. They come uh, configured with a, a special operating system to act as a coupling facility that allows two LPARs to talk to each other. Um, and it also um, is... Uh, keeping track of all those. So as you define all those LPARs, you don't want to have to do that every time you um, happen to power your system back up. So it keeps track of those definitions and always uh, brings them back in when you bring your machine up. Um, one of the other things that it does is it does have a keyboard and a display and the system service representative uh, will use that if necessary. Um, well, they definitely use it when the system is first installed to basically do the basic configuration. Um, but it's also used perhaps during service operations. So if um, 
the machine calls home because it detected a problem and an SSR is dispatched uh, to replace some component, um, the process that they go through of um, replacing and verifying the new component is all done through the um, system element, the support, excuse me, the support element as well. Um, and there's also a way to remotely get into it um, using the HMC, which is sort of the second part that we were possibly were going to talk about. So, um, yeah, do you have any questions about the SE part? Yeah, kind of. Um, I'm, I'm raising my hand over here. I guess we'll, we'll figure out eventually how we're going to show that we're raising our hands here. Yeah. Well, if they had the video, I guess you can see that. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out eventually. Um, when, when you get, you know, not many people, you know, get a brand new mainframe rolled in and you're, they're figuring, figuring it all out from scratch. Assuming you're migrating from one mainframe system, say like a, you know, a Z14 to a Z15 or something like that, is there like a migration path forward for the the SE and the HMC themselves, or is it like a like a MacBook where it's like, hey, point me to your old machine and I'll pull all the stuff off of it? Oh, okay. So um, as far as HMCs and SEs are a little different. So the SE is physically part of that machine. So um, if the upgrade involves keeping the same frame, then the same SE is there. If the upgrade, like you have an old, a like really old machine, like say a Z13, and you're now going to upgrade to a Z15, where the upgrade is really um, the process of basically rolling out the new one and rolling in the new one in its place, then in that case, you will have a new um, SE, but there are some provisions to back up critical data from your old environment, like your LPAR definitions and things like that, uh, rate them out to a um, USB um, flash drive, and then that information can be imported into your new system when you're ready to have it uh, come back up. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So um, the... Like I said, the, the thing about the SE is it's kind of always there. Um, people don't really think about it, but like I said, it does monitor for um, problems, which are rare, but when they happen, um, it will take care of um, doing things like if a processor core fails, it will, it will go replace the uh, processor, not physically replace, but replace the work that was running on it and move it to a spare processor core. Um, so it, it does have a lot of those kind of capabilities, um, built into it. Now, um, when I, when I talk about calling home, which is kind of an interesting, uh, topic that's kind of done through the HMC or the hardware management console. So let me just kind of introduce you a little bit to what the HMC is like. I, I look at the HMC as, um, like the fancy dashboard console in most uh, current cars, right? I mean, um, you can bring up a display and you can see like um, how power is being distributed. You can see um, what kind of mileage you've been getting. You can see how many miles you have before you need to stop and get fuel again. Uh, a lot of them have navigation built into them. And some of them also have the capability, at least mine does, that I can talk to it through an app on my phone. I can, um, you know, unlock if I, for some reason, forgot my keys, I could use my phone to unlock the doors. If I'm out in some big parking lot somewhere and I just don't remember where I put my car, I can um, query through the app. Um, the GPS in the car will 
send uh, its inf- location information up through a cellular network, and then that will be fed back to my phone, and I can see where it is. And if I'm still not even sure, I can tell it to start honking the horn and blinking the lights. So it makes it a little <laughs> bit easier for me to, to find it when I forget those things that happen sometimes. Um, anyway, um, so the uh, HMC is very similar in that it's, it's, it's the way to look at um, your processors and see what's going on and interact with them. Um, I don't know in my car where the computer module or modules are. I have no idea. I never interact directly with them. If I wanted to do something, um, I always do it through the, um, you know, the console dashboard or in my case, you know, the phone app that I have that will allow me to see, you know, it'll notify me if it's time for an oil change or it sends me once a month. that gives me an update on, you know, all the status of the different systems in the car, you know, you need new windshield washer fluid added and things like that. So the HMC is um, also uh, built on x86 um, servers. Now, what's different about them is um, they can be standalone. And for many, many years, that was the only option. It looked like one of those tower type PCs that, you know, people would have sitting next to their desk. But eventually, they came out to be small individual units that could be rack-mounted. And now with the Z15, um, we also have what they call um, virtual HMCs, or they refer to them as a HMA, a hardware management appliance. So, um, and, and we've already kind of, you know, been using that, I guess, on a lot of the newer things because... I don't have to worry about connecting up all these x86 servers and finding a place for them on the floor of the machine room. And and since most of the time we can do things remotely anyway, who needs more servers sitting around on the on your floor? So um, the thing that's really interesting about the HMC is that where an SE only talks to the the CPC or the processor that it's in, an HMC can access. Um, multiple different CPCs. So, you know, in, in, in the data center where I am, um, we have, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, I believe, machines. We have two Z15s, a Z14, and two Z13s, and one HMC can see and manage them all. Um, and so that sort of becomes uh, very easy because it gives you a single interface to multiple um, machines, unlike the console in your car, which you can only monitor your car. Uh, I don't think there's any way for my console to m- monitor somebody else's car. That would be fun. Yeah, that would, <laughs> that would be, fun. be kind of scary, actually. <laughs> um, although the app on my phone can do that. If I had another you know, Subaru, I could just also have it defined to the same app and, and you know, just tell it which car I want to look at. Um, So one of the things uh, that the HMC does is for each um, CPC or each system that it's going to um, communicate with, it actually does that communication through the support element. So there is a a network that connects the support elements, both the alternate and the primary, on each managed IBM Z back to as many HMCs as you have in your data center that you want to be able to um, use to monitor them. I think we have something like six right now, which is way too many if you ask me, but um, 
we do have um, all these HMCs and they can monitor different systems. And the HMC is sort of like what I would call now the operational interface. That's how you actually interact with your um, IBM Z system. Um, you can use it. So remember when I said that initially when you turn on the circuit breaker and your IBM Z15 has AC power, the first thing that happens is the SC boots up. And then it just makes sure that everything is okay. And then it waits for instructions from an HMC where somebody says, okay, now I want to activate um, that particular processor. And it will you know, send the information to the SE. The SE will start the process that I mentioned before about booting up and loading microcode and all that kind of stuff. And the HMC, you can see the status there. It'll tell you like, you know, what step of the process it's in, and then it'll finally tell you when the machine has been activated and ready. Um, you can also use it to monitor the environment. So as I mentioned, an IBM Z um, consists of multiple logical partitions. So from your HMC, you can just click on one of those IBM Z systems and sort of drill down, and it will give you a menu of all the partitions that are defined on that machine um, and what status they're in. Uh, initially, when the machine is first powered up, uh, the partitions probably won't be active. So you can use the HMC to say, okay, I want to activate my prediction partitions first. And then maybe I'll go back and after those are all up and running, I'll activate my uh, test development LPARs and, and maybe some other ancillary um, LPARs that you have. Um, it can also let you see the status of the hardware. So you can look at the things like the channels on any particular processor that it has access to. Um, you can see the messages for an operating system. So you actually, just like you activate a whole processor, from the HMC, you can select one or more of the LPARs and say, I want to activate that LPAR and then IPL an operating system into it. And so it is sort of like the, like I said, it's sort of like the cockpit, if you will, for your whole uh, fleet of IBM Zs mm -hmm. that you can uh, manage. And then um, I did mention that, you know, systems do have microcode. So you actually can use the HMC to maintain uh, microcode. You can see what microcode levels on the machine. You can select a machine, and if there are microcode updates, you can use the HMC to direct the um, the process of upgrading the microcode on that machine. And I, I guess I sort of mentioned that you know these HMC x86 servers they could be standalone or rack mounted or virtual. Um, just like there's an app for my phone, there is actually a mobile HMC app, which I have on my phone. And as long as I can get it connected to the network where our systems are on, I can also do all pretty much all the same things that I would do uh, from an HMC. I can do it from my phone, and I can also do it from a web browser. So I hardly ever go into our data center. I do all the things I need to do um, sitting at home just using the web browser on my Mac. And if somebody calls me and says they need a system IPL and I happen to be out, not at home, I can use the app on my phone to do it. I'm, I'm raising my hand over here. I got a question. Oh, now I see where the <laughs> hand is. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, Professor, I have a question over here. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so it sounds like short of moving things around and like plugging and unplugging, you can you can do anything you would need to do on a physical machine through the HMC, either the, the app or web interface or 
um, the actual thing. I'd say that's generally correct. Um, I only go into our data center if I physically have to plug devices into a channel, you know, like the fiber cables or Ethernet cable. And that happens very rarely. Okay. Uh, I think in 2020, I may have gone into the the data center two or three times the whole year. (laughs) Uh, And 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 I think Frank has a question, too. Oh well, Frank can wait because I have, I have two. <laughs> oh, I can't tell. I, I, I couldn't. I could just see that yours was up, and I see his is now up. Well, his is yep. bouncing. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a joke about that. We'll leave that. So the um, I'm having trouble understanding the mappings of the of the SEs to the HMCs. Is it one to many or many to one or many to many? Like whatever makes sense. Okay, so um, one HMC. Um, can see multiple processors by talking to the SE that's on that processor. So from an HMA, HMC perspective, it's a one-to-many. Mm-hmm. The SE, though, can only talk to the processor that it is um, physically in the same frame with. Right. It has it does have some network connectivity to all the drawers and things like that, so it can monitor them. But as far as um, it can't talk to any other uh, processor, only only the one that it's part of. But multiple HMCs can see the same SE. Yes. And yeah. So we we actually have four standalone HMCs um, in our data center. And all four of them, I could log into any one of them, and they all see the same processors. Okay. And I'm assuming yep. each HMC is set up for a different type of purpose. Like one might be dev, test, prod, something like that. It could be, and um, that you could do that. Yeah, you could have like, and, and you could do that. You can say that an HMC can only see certain um, processors. So if you had like a really big data center, like we're a bank, maybe we have three IBM Z's set up for production and one for dev test, then um, I could set up one or two HMCs to only control the production um, processors and a different one that only would control the um, dev test processor. The other thing too is people sign, log into an HMC with credentials and what they're allowed to do is also very much controlled. So um, just because I can log into the HMC doesn't mean that I can do anything to any um, system that that HMC has access to. It will only let me do whatever I've been given permission to do, which might be maybe just monitor things if I'm just um, monitoring um, environmental things. Like through the SC, the HMC can see how much power it's using. Uh, the temperature of the input air and the output air, um, if there's any um, issues with performance going on because it was missing power or something like that, um, it would be able to monitor those. But then I can also say that this person can only, um, I don't need a separate dev test HMC if I want operators to only have control over the dev test machine, they could still log into the same HMC, but their credentials say you can only see this one um, dev test machine. And Oh, by the way, um, you can only see certain LPARs on that machine and do things with them. So it's very granular. How do you want to break it down and customize it? Great. Thank you. Yeah. So, so professor, I'm trying to make sure I understand. Um, the relationship here is it that the 
the SE does things that the HMC tells it to do, or does the HMC have direct uh, capability of of managing the the systems? Um, the SE, I mean, technically can do things itself. Um, like I said, it actually does have a keyboard and a display. Primarily only the SSR service people would ever use it. Um, but actually, through an HMC, if I want to do something directly as if I was sitting at the keyboard and console of the SE, there are some functions that can only be done through the SE. And I can um, have the HMC... Um, do what's called a single object operation. I, I take my HMC, I pick the processor I want to control, and I say, I want to go into single object mode, and it's going to actually bring up on my screen the same thing that I would see if I was sitting in front of the SE. And there are some functions that can only be done um, from the SE itself, um, like power on reset. There, there, there's a, a, it depends on which kind of processor you have. They've changed over the years. The Z15 has actually integrated many more of the functions that were only available from the SE that can now be performed from an HMC. But, but does the HMC talk to the, the SE? Yeah. Or? Yes, it does. Okay. It does. So it's not like the, the HMC has a different way in. It has to go through the SE to, to do stuff. That's correct. Yes, that's correct. The HMC is just uh, uh, an interface into the SE, and it is over the network. And for example, um, when you upgrade microcode on the SE, the SE has to reboot itself. And so for um, a short period of time, the SE will be um, rebooting. And on the HMC, you'll see a message that says uh, communications lost or something like that temporarily. doesn't stop the machine from operating because the alternate HMC is still there keeping control on everything and making sure that there's no hardware problems and things like that. So um, it could be a temporary thing, and um, that's, how, you know, that's how you do it through the HMC. But the HMC doesn't directly control the machine. It always does it by talking through the SE on a given machine. And as you can imagine, um, nobody's let me anywhere near their <laughs> HMC for a very long time. Um, but but the last time I touched one, uh, I think it was actually done on a PS2. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of drag and drop. Is it still very drag and droppy, or what is what does it look like these days? Yeah. Um, so the interface that you're referring to, um, which um, was on the PS2, and actually, back in those days, it hey, actually ran I, OS2. There, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this thinking Frank was accessing a mainframe on a PlayStation 2. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just said... Frank mashing the X button saying, IPL, IPL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a personal system, too. Sorry. An old, old uh, micro-channel <laughs> device. Uh, yeah, that we used to call PS2. Yeah, so you're right. It was a it was an IBM um, tower type PC, and actually back then it used to run um, OS2 as its operating system. And yes, it did have a very, I thought, very crude looking, if you ask me, uh, icons and things like that. They were kind of ugly, and um, eventually 
people didn't like that. And so they did go <laughs> to a new tree type menu, which is much more, if you look at it, you might think a little bit about if you're using Windows or a Mac and you go into like um, Finder or File Manager, File Explorer, whatever they call it on Windows these days, and you can click on like a hard drive and then it opens up and it shows you all the directories on the hard drive. And then you can click on a particular directory and see all the files in there. That's the type of interface they have now. So on my HMC, initially when I log in, I see basically what looks like a, a tree type menu that lists the processors that it can see. And if I click on one of those processors, it will let me, um, it'll show me a list of all the LPARs that are on there. And then if I click on one of those LPARs, it can let me do things like IPL it or activate it, deactivate it, you know, look at its operating system messages so I can uh, type in commands and things like that. Um, so, yeah, the interface has dramatically changed. And in fact, that old interface is no longer available. And newer HMCs actually, I believe, are running a um, our Linux operating system. Because if you've actually seen an HMC when you first turn it on, you can actually see like the Linux type commands until the application comes up, which is basically a full screen GUI type application, just like on a Mac or a Windows machine. Perfect. Thank you. And of course, the interface on a phone looks a little bit different because obviously <laughs> on a phone or an iPad, they have to make a few adjustments for size. Right. <laughs> now, um, I, I know that modern uh, technology is kind of eased into this environment and you can actually make rest calls into the HMC. Do you see that uh, with modern automation that people will stop using the HMC altogether and start using, you know, more um, distance tools? Yeah, actually that, that's a really good point. Um, there, one of the things that, for example, if we, happen to have to shut down for some reason because um, they're doing power in our building and make us shut the power off or something like that. Um, you know, the process of bringing up your system is kind of like manual, right? I have to, I have to power it up. Then I have to go to the HMC and then I have to tell the HMC to tell that processor to activate and it kind of, you know, does its thing. And then I have to go in and pick the LPARs that um, I want to activate and activate them, and then I have to go in and IPL them. And yeah, with the um, HMC APIs, um, you can automate a lot of that stuff. And um, as far as I know, uh, I believe um, there's been a lot of different interfaces. I've seen, I've played a little bit with ones where um, I actually use um, the Rex command language from inside a ZOS system to find out what's going on on the system and, and look at other um, LPARs that I'm allowed to see. Um, but nowadays, you can also use um, a tool called Ansible, which is uh, another automation tool that's um, getting really popular. And there's actually a set of um, Ansible um, interfaces modules, I guess is the, the proper term, that um, you can use to talk to uh, ZOS operating system, and you can also use them to talk to the HMC. Yeah, in fact, there's a, there's a whole set of APIs uh, that you can get as a package through PyPy that would allow you to, to, to manage it right from Python. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, because they're all the these um, interfaces are all um, native for Python. Right. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah and actually, um, we last summer I was um, had a summer intern actually who was working on using uh, the API to come up with a nicer looking dashboard of activity of what's happening on the machine than the sort of built in monitors dashboard, which is kind of you know, ugly and crude. Um, he was going to use the Python uh, APIs to pull the data from the HMC, put it into uh, Prometheus, and then use Grafana, which is just another open source tool, to display it in a nice dashboard format. So, so do you think the time will come when uh, people won't even use the HMC anymore, that they'll have kind of more purpose-driven tools that they can... Um, that they can use and, and have it uh, leverage things like Ansible or Python um, to do the actual work for him. Yeah, I think that's really where things are going, that the uh, HMC is just basically going to be there for um, very limited users, um, like service people and things like that, that actually have to get into the machine to do something. Um, I think the... Uh, use of it by like the operationist folks and certainly people who are application oriented folks, um, they won't be, you know, ever seeing it. And I think that's why it's some somewhat of a mystery actually, because already um, there's only such a small number of people who actually ever see or interact with an HMC hmm. and even smaller that ever even see or interact with an SE. Yeah, professor, I have, I have one more question. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. When, when I, uh, I'm just thinking when I, when I try to close a project without saving it, I get like 50, are you sure you want to do this messages? <laughs> What's the process for shutting down a mainframe through a web page? Do I need like two people turning a key at the same time, like in war games, or it seems like something you wouldn't want to happen by accident. Yeah. So, um, it is, Actually, I should have sort of said this. So, for example, even um, remote access through the network, you know, using like a web interface um, can be limited. Um, you could have certain people would be allowed to do that. Other people wouldn't. There are mm -hmm. certain functions that cannot be done remotely. One of them, however, is not powering off the system. But so that way you kind of have to depend on if, if, if I have that authority to deactivate a processor and I go in and say deactivate the processor, it's going to ask me, um, are you sure you want to do this? Because that's kind of disruptive. Even, even shutting down an LPAR, for example, um, is considered, you know, anything that's disruptive, let me just put it that way. Any, any task that you want to do that's considered disruptive because it could potentially, um, interfere with an operating system that's already running or a whole processor or taking a channel offline or something like that. Um, it's first going to warn you that it's disruptive. It's going to ask you to verify you really are sure you know what you're doing and you want to do it. And then it's going to ask you to enter your password. So it's not like if I walked in and, and stepped away for a second and forgot to lock my terminal, which is a big no-no, <laughs> Somebody could walk over real quick and say, like, hey, Fred's out of the way. Let's go power down the machine. Um, and he gets blamed for it because it happened from his terminal. Um, <laughs> they still used to have to know my password. Um, but, that, but that said, um, there has been a case where somebody inadvertently had the power and wasn't paying attention to what they were doing. And they thought they were shutting down an LPAR and they 
inadvertently shut down a whole processor and it's like you sure you want to do this? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just shutting down an LPAR. So they put in their password, and then the whole system went down. So, yeah, we took that person's uh, permissions away. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Fred, what do, you, what do you say to people who say, well, you've got this, you know, multi-million dollar machine, and it, it's always up all the time, and, and it's got all this special capability, but you still need um, more than one x86 processor uh, to turn it on and turn it off. It sounds like it's all kind of dependent on these these small, you know, x86 servers. Um, yeah, that's kind of a good question. I don't know. Um, uh, the only two that are absolutely positively required are um, the two x86 servers that make up the support element. Um, the support element servers are capable of running this virtual um, HMC, so you really don't need an actual HMC sitting anywhere else. So um, you that's about the only x86 that I think is absolutely positively needed. And I have no idea. You'd have to talk to the engineers who you know design and build these systems to decide how are they going to handle that in the future I, yeah, they might go to arm processors or who knows what they might have up their sleeve for the future you know just have a little phone plugged in there or something but um yeah for now that is true but you don't have to supply them they just come in the machine um ibm has them in there and and they're not in play when it's doing stuff right it's only to turn them on and turn them off and to and to do configuration, they're not part of the the every moment the operation, right? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, there's multiple processors in there. You, can, of course, have all the IBM um, cores that make up the CPUs, both general purpose CPUs, um, IFLs, which are integrated facility for Linux, which are specialty engines. Um, for running Linux and ZVM, and there's uh, ZIPs, Z information, uh, C, I, I processor. <laughs> I forget what it stands for. Um, it, basically, it's a special processor that's used for uh, things like DB2 workloads, running um, Java on ZOS another you know type of specialty processor that's in there and then of course there's other processors that are just used to manage io and of course even um if you think about it on each um channel card there is um processors that you know make that channel behave the way it's supposed to be and have uh, microcode in them so the se once the system's up and running um the se is just more of a monitoring thing system kind of pretty much um will go on its own. And like I said, you can reboot an SE to do upgrade a microcode on it and the system keeps on running. And if one of the SE fails, the other one takes over and the system keeps running. Well, well, thank you very much, Professor. I, I feel so much smarter now. <laughs> but was it worth worthwhile information to have or does it just really fall into the trivia bucket? I think we'll find out when we uh, see what's on the exam. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, that's what we forgot to say. Am I going to be tested on this? <laughs> no, no, I don't believe it. No tests. 
Well, you do fail if you accidentally shut down one of my systems. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, I would say you're not a true mainframer unless you've accidentally done that at least five times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I could sometime I could tell you some really interesting stories that go back to the System 360 days. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll have to have him back for that. When, it, when we yep. do a regular terminal talk, we'll have him come back and talk about that. Okay, well, Thank I you. sure hope that this was... Um, at least useful and some people may have learned something that um is good to know thank you very much professor (laughs) you're more than welcome and thanks for having me guys thank you thanks for listening to terminal talk back to school if there's something you'd like to see covered in future episodes drop us an email at contact at terminaltalk.net or come find us at twitter at terminal talk for terminal talk i'm professor king